0: I literally talk to moms every week, and I'm always seeing the things that weigh on us and the things that we worry about. And when I was watching you gallivant around New York City with your kids, it was like, that's the end goal, to enjoy them as people and have a relationship that's not just, you know, that I taught them to be good humans.
1: Thomas Edison. Hello. I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 151 of ADHD for smart ass women. Please subscribe to this podcast, ADHD for smart ass women and our newsletter over at tracyoutsuka.com. My purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. In the thousands of ADHD women that I have had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something, not one. And that includes our next guest who approached me with an interesting podcast idea. How about a mom-focused episode with a balance of perspectives? My guest has two very small children, and so she's in the thick of it, and she wanted to talk about when you're looking back and your kids are out of the house, what really mattered. Turns out, as you all know, I have a daughter who just turned 23, who's working as a paralegal in New York City, and she plans on going to law school in 2023. And I have a son with ADHD and dyslexia who's 19 and in his second year in college studying economics, who is also in New York City. So I think that the conversation, it's going to be a good one. So I am just delighted to introduce you to Patricia's son. Patricia helps moms with ADHD, get their crap together, her words, not mine, (laughs) one step at a time and feel confident running their family life. I use that word all the time then Patricia. (laughs) After years of serial entrepreneurship and teaching middle school, she has a uniquely practical perspective on strategies for building a life that works when your brain is different. Her top-ranked podcast, Motherhood and ADHD, is a lighthouse for mamas who have ADHD, reminding us that we are never alone in our struggles. An introverted Midwesterner at heart, Patricia has adopted the word y'all and resides in Houston, Texas, along with her two young boys, an extroverted non-ADHD husband.
0: Patricia, did
1: I get all that right?
0: Yes, ma'am, you did.
1: I knew I was going to jumble up Midwesterner. I don't know why I have such a problem with that word, but- Well, you um, could have changed it. It would have been fine. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm not sure what I would have changed it to. <laughs> anyway, can we talk about your ADHD diagnosis first? Of course. So what were the circumstances? How did
0: it come about? Uh, well, it really was like a serendipitous kind of coming together, um, so, I guess backing up a little bit, I grew up your typical, like, perfect child. Perfectionism is my coping mechanism of choice. And so I grew up like doing great at school, National Honor Society. And, you know, on the surface, it looked great. And I think a lot of women with ADHD identify with that like swan mentality of like, we look great on the outside. And then underneath, it's like, we cannot paddle fast enough to keep up. And we're so tired. And so when I went to college, I literally just fell apart. It was a mess. I went from like being the model student to almost failing out. I got put on probation for my scholarship because I was doing so poorly. Um, I couldn't get out of bed in the morning and I wasn't making it to class. I couldn't figure out how to keep up with all the schoolwork that – Was now all entirely on my shoulders to figure out how to organize and, you know, all the skills of like breaking things that are big projects into small pieces. I realized that I thought I was so prepared, but looking back, I wasn't. I didn't have those skills in place because all throughout childhood, somebody was there telling me, you know, if you think about like high school, you show up, they tell you where to go, they tell you when to switch class, they tell you where to go now. They tell you when things are due. Everything's very controlled. So when I went to college and all of a sudden I was responsible for all that, it was just, it was a mess. And I went to the student health center thinking, like, there's something wrong with me. Th- like, th- there's clearly something wrong. I don't know what it is, but something's wrong. And thankfully, the doctor that I was seeing there recognized what it was. And she said, I think you should go to the student services center and, and do some testing. And I'm, I'm, like, trying to think back because I'm – I'm dating myself. This is 20 years ago. I don't even think I knew what ADHD was, to be honest. Like I'd heard of it, but I didn't understand it. And I was just really lucky to – when I went to go to diagnose, there was a grad student there doing her research project on women with ADHD. And so I got this ridiculous amount of testing done. She ran – I mean, I don't even know how I made it through that many hours of testing. And it came back that I – clearly had adhd and one of her good friends was in law school and she took me under her wing and showed me how to study like everything from like using white i mean on a walkman a cassette tape of white noise and taught me how to function in college and it was just this perfect lineup of the right people entering my life and helping me out and i managed to pull it together and graduate um, I, I won't say that it was at the level that I wanted it to be, but it wasn't horrible. And I made it. That's really all that matters. Like, I, I got the degree. And then I, I did okay when I was just taking care of myself. Like, it definitely was not ideal, but I did all right. And then when I had my kids, it just fell apart again. And I started Googling mothers and ADHD and there's got to be more of us out here. Like, somebody's got to have some advice. And I couldn't find anything. It was, like, one article on Scary Mommy and, like, one (laughs) other thing that I Googled. And that was it. And I was just so distraught and thinking, like, I know there's other moms out here dealing with this. How come I can't find anything to help me? And granted, like, I was in the throes of postpartum anxiety and that whole mess. And I I just kind of, like, accepted, like, this is – it must be me, like – Maybe there's not, maybe all these people that I picture are not out there and maybe it's just my problem. Well, then fast forward to my second son being born after he was nah, not quite a year. Um, very clearly, God was like, you need to start a podcast for moms with ADHD. And I was like, Lord, you have lost your ever loving mind. There's no way. There's no way. I spent my whole life struggling. And then when I finally figured out what it was, I spent all that time covering it up because I didn't want anyone to judge me differently for having a learning disability. I didn't want anyone to not give me a job or like look down on me because I couldn't do the things that other people were doing. So I hid it really well. So let me ask you, before we get too far adrift,
1: I have a couple questions around college. Hmm, Um, Your story mirrors mine almost identically, but part of it for me was I was in the wrong major. I thought that I was going to go to dental school just like my father. And once I got there, the competition was, because like you, I had done really, really well. And so it was Mm -hmm. the top of, you know, all the different colleges would then go to these schools, right? So your competition just got so much more difficult. So I'm curious and I'm terrible. I have no ability in math and very little ability in science. So it was the calculus and it was the <laughs> um, biochem. Oh, so I'm curious, were you in the wrong uh, major as well?
0: I would say yes and no. I got diagnosed at the beginning. So at that point, I was still taking all of my like core classes. And I think that's part of what the hard part was, is that it was boring things that I didn't really care about. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to say because the way that my school was set up that you had to do two years of liberal arts core before you could choose the business school. And once I got into business school, I loved it. So I I mean, I guess, yes, but it was one of those, like, I didn't really have another choice either. It was if you want to get into the business school, you have to do your first two years. Got it. Of course. So, So yes and no.
1: So you ended up graduating in the area that you went to college for.
0: Uh, Oh, no. I changed my major lots of times. I guess I should clarify that. I was a communications major at one point. I was a Spanish major. I did end up having a Spanish minor by the end. And I think there was another one in there. I had changed three times. Got it.
1: Well, and that sounds very ADHD. But you really lucked out to be at a university that had these kinds of services. Oh, my gosh. I mean – So I'm curious why you were still, once you had your child, which makes sense, right? We have so many more responsibilities. We not only have to manage ourselves, which is struggle enough, but then we also have to manage children. Um, But you said that um, you were still struggling with the shame. So when you were working with the counselor or therapist at the university or psychologist, I'm not sure who it was, was there any... Conversation around the strengths of ADHD, or was it pretty much just these are all the things that we struggle with, and this is how you make it better?
0: Um, I mean, honestly, there wasn't that part of it. When I once I went through the testing and I got my diagnosis, and I I mean, it was a very similar situation to a lot of women, where it's like, here's your diagnosis, here's your medicine, good luck. There wasn't that – like there wasn't any counseling or anything like – the person who taught me was the friend of the girl who did the testing on me, who had ADHD, who took me under her wing and explained everything to me. But it wasn't like an official service. She was just a very sweet lady who was willing to help me out. So there wasn't that – like, I'm like, man, I wish they did that. That's like one thing that I, it kills me that when people get diagnoses, we don't have some kind of like, even just like a pamphlet of information to like, here's what you do next. I think that's a huge disservice that we do as like, as a whole in society.
1: I could not agree more.
0: So are you
1: inattentive or
0: are you combined type? Um, technically I'm inattentive, but I always say that I'm hyperactive in my mind and I'm very fidgety, very fidgety.
1: Yeah. I agree with you. I think that that clearly is the difference. And what Mm -hmm. tends to happen to us is as we get older, (laughs) we get less fidgety, but more fidgety in our mind. Like you can't, you can't shut it off. So once you knew it was ADHD and you had the benefit of hindsight, what are some of the symptoms that you always wondered about, but now you recognize them as clearly ADHD? From childhood? Yeah.
0: Oh. I think the, the anxiety is definitely a big one. Knowing that the level of stress and worry that I had as a child was all rooted in my ADHD. I was an extremely anxious kid and my brain would run down these like worst case scenarios where all of a sudden I'd be so far down the path of disaster. But yet if you look back, there was absolutely no supporting evidence that that would be an issue. So like if I, for an example, I would think like when I went to summer camp, I was probably about like fifth grade and it was my first sleepaway camp. And I was convinced every day, every night I would have nightmares that my family would die in a fire and that I would be the only one still alive. It's like, I mean, I'm trying to like do the math. I'm like fifth grade. What is that? Like 10, 11 years old? Like that's crazy that that was my go-to like stress response. And my stomach hurt every day. And I would go to the little nurse's station and she would give me Pepto-Bismol. And obviously it wasn't doing anything for me because it was a (laughs) stress-induced stomach issue, not like that I needed something. And I wanted to go home so bad. And my dad told me that if I came home, I had to pay him back for the camp. And that was like, I mean, literally like, I mean, at 10, you're like, I can't even imagine like $400. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll stick it out. And not to say that I didn't have fun on portions of it, but I was so anxious. And I feel like if that had been addressed, and like talked through, then I would have been a lot better. And actually that's one of the counselors ended up sitting with me and, you know, they had like, you know, college kid counselors and she watched me through like, like just being able to voice like, this is what I'm worried about. And she like just listened. And then she let me borrow her stuffed animal because I was too cool to bring a stuffed animal. So that was part (laughs) of the problem too. And that's what made the difference is someone else coming in and saying like, okay, I'm going to listen to you. And then I'm going to help you see that, like, this is not pretty uh, – that's not very likely. I mean, not to say that you can't be scared, but, like, you know. Right. The, like, let's bring us back to where, where we started. And is there any supporting evidence for that being an issue? Probably not. Um, it's, like, that – I just feel like that anxiety thing would be – the biggest one that I I wish I had understood as a kid, because now I look back and I'm like, oh man, that was just such a crippling piece of my childhood. Oh.
1: So can I ask you? You were diagnosed in college. Did you then kind of forget about your ADHD until you had your first son?
0: Actually, that's kind of a that's a good way to put
1: it. <laughs> Uh, well, it happens all the time. I mean, some people are diagnosed three times. You know, we just we go through life and we forget
0: that, oh yeah, there was this thing, <laughs> ADHD. Yeah, I think that it's easy once you figured out the coping mechanisms that work for you, then it's easy to just keep on trekking down that path and not addressing the root issue. And then you get far enough along you're like, oh oh, oh, right, right, right. This was the problem. And it pulls you back in and you have to go back and, you know, tend to the problem again. But yeah, it, it was really easy as a single adult to just do my thing and do what worked for me. And I didn't have to worry about how it affected anyone else. Like the biggest problem I had was, you know, we have, ADHD people have a lot of sleep issues. I did have a lot of issues like waking up in the morning and getting, on, uh, getting to work on time. But other than that, like most of the things I had figured out ways to deal, and a lot of that was rooted in my perfectionism. If I, if I just check this thing seven times, then surely it will be good enough and I'll have caught all the mistakes, which is a total lie. But it, it was it worked for me then. And um, yeah, that's a good way so to put it. It's kind of like I forgot about it.
1: So um, once you had your son – what changed? Like what were the responsibilities or things that just kind of
0: sent you over the edge? Oh, Tracy, I don't know if this podcast is long enough. <laughs> um, was anxiety part of it? I, it was. It was a huge issue for me. I had a lot of postpartum anxiety, which I at the time I was not aware of. I knew about postpartum depression, but postpartum anxiety I was not Familiar with ahead of time. And again, I'm really thankful that I had a friend who was pregnant slightly before me who was willing to share her postpartum depression. And so at least I knew to keep an eye out for that. But I didn't realize that's what it was until a little bit further in. Like I, it's almost like I feel like if I had had postpartum depression, I would have noticed, like, oh, right, that's what Jenny told me about. But if it had been because it was the anxiety and it was presenting so differently it took me a while to realize how much I was struggling.
1: I didn't even know that there's such a thing as postpartum anxiety. I mean, we know that ADHD women struggle more with postpartum
0: Mm -hmm. depression, but there is something called postpartum anxiety. Yeah. So, I mean, basically it's very similar in postpartum depression where it's linked to that postpartum phase and But instead of feeling like like, I don't want to live here anymore,
1: Mm -hmm. the anxiety
0: is like your brain is literally imagining every worst case scenario. I was convinced that my son was going to suffocate – basically like anytime he didn't make a noise in a few minutes, it was like, are you breathing? And I was checking him. And there are so many women who deal with this. And again, it can go on for years just like postpartum depression can where – you know, when your kid is a toddler and you're worried about them constantly falling down the stairs or running in the street, but to the point where it's not healthy. We do want to have that level of safety consciousness, I guess, Mm -hmm. that keeps Mm -hmm. our kids safe. But when it's running in high gear and occupying so much of your mind that you're not able to function on a daily basis, then that's a problem.
1: You know, and that makes perfect sense. It could last for years. It could last probably forever because you're strengthening yeah. those neural pathways, right? You're building them. Exactly. And pretty soon that's your life. Wow. I I had not heard that. I'm I'm really appreciative that you brought that up. So, Patricia, your kids are firmly ensconced in the nest. In fact, as far as I'm concerned, they basically (laughs) just got there. We are back for holidays and vacations. In fact, my daughter's coming home in two days on Saturday. Unfortunately, my son has too much homework, so we're not going to see him until right before Christmas. But I know, I love that question that you presented. You know, when you're looking back and your kids are out of the house, what really mattered? And I know you're
0: far from there, but what do you think it will be for you? I think it will be that I'm like, oh my goodness, I might, I should have grabbed some tissues. I might get upset here. Um, I think <laughs> it's that I want them to look back and know that I always put them first. And not to say that I put them over my well being, but that if I was choosing like work, or them, I picked them. And when I was choosing like something fun over them and it was truly important to them, I picked them. Like I I do want to have that level of um, reality. Like I don't want to drop everything at, you know, every time they need something. Well, no, you need to be aware of the real world and how it works. But I want them to know how important they are to me and that I will always be there no matter what
1: and why is that important to you?
0: Ooh, that's a good question. I think it's because my mom passed away when I was younger. Oh. And and it's hard to not have her here for those big moments. So, I know it wasn't her fault she had cancer, so it's not like she did something to to cause oh, I'm it, so but sorry. um you know, to not have her around in those important times is Is hard and I don't want them to ever feel like I wasn't there, even if it was by choice. And I mean, I'm very lucky. My mom was amazing and she was a stay at home mom and did, you know, everything that she could for us. And I want them to have that same like fondness to look back and know that I was there.
1: That's a lot of pressure, Patricia. <laughs> and I can feel it. Yeah, and I can understand why. Wow, I'm not even
0: sure where to go. <laughs> I was like, uh, okay, this is not the conversation I thought I was volunteering for here. Um, got real serious real quick, but I, I think I think what it was is like I, I had been watching your Instagram, and you're doing all this like fun stuff with your kids in New York and truly enjoying them as young adults. And it's so hard. Like we all my students who are in my classes, we have a like a once a week meeting and it's a support group. And so like I literally talk to moms every week, tons of them. And I'm always seeing the struggles and the things that weigh on us and the things that we worry about. And when I was watching you Gallivant around New York City with your kids, it was like, that's the end goal is to enjoy them as people and have a relationship that's not just, you know, that I taught them to be good humans, but that we really enjoy our company. I think it's hard when you're in the thick of it to really understand what's important because we see, especially when we have ADHD, we think about all the things that we do wrong and we think about how we could have done them better and we ruminate about it and we envision the crazy anxiety scenarios. And we get so caught up in the things that feel really big at the time. But I I just have this feeling that like a lot of them probably don't matter. So I wanted to ask from your perspective of now that you're like kind of like heading on the other side, it's like, what were the things that really did matter? What were the things that you're really glad that you did? And what are the things you're like, meh, I really shouldn't have worried about that?
1: (laughs) So first, I want to acknowledge you and the fact that – so I just – I want to tell you a story. When I was in – I think it was third grade – I remember um, I've always had anxiety around, oh, my God, what if something happens to my mom? And it's since transferred to, oh, my gosh, what if something happens to my husband? And he's had so many close scares, but he's like a cat with nine lives. It always ends up being absolutely nothing.
0: But I've been nice
1: to you more times than I care to admit. One time when my kids were like seven and three. And, you know, he was basically given last rites and all that. But then he mm-hmm. came out and he's totally fine. He got septic, <laughs> which is just horrifying. Um, yeah. And it's since translated then, you know, from my husband then to my kids, right? Always right. worried that, oh, my gosh, what if I, like, I don't hear from yeah. them. You know, as I'm, I'm, you know, I expect that I'm going to hear from them and I don't. I'm, it, you know, oh, my God, they're in a river somewhere They're, You know, they're in New York City. Where the hell? You're like, you know, so there's a very always- big river there. So I see where you go. With I that. know. The Hudson, <laughs> right? Um, th- I've always had this anxiety about losing my my parents, and so so, so I'm going to go back to my story in true ADHD fashion. When I was in third grade, <laughs> I remember one day being so worried that something was going to happen to her that I went to the nurse's office and I said, "I am really sick. I need to go home." And I remember she picked me up and we went out for lunch, and I just needed to know that she was okay. But I never connected this to anxiety and ADHD and this ruminating brain and our imagination. And so my point was simply that I can understand how anxiety would be so big when you've lost a parent. And then you have children, right? And so you're worried about yourself that they don't lose a parent, you're worried that you're going to lose that because it's been real, right? It's not just something you made up in your mind. No, this is this was real life. So I, I just take my hat off to you in how you are able to manage that because I never even had that experience and I struggle with that. So, I just wanted to say that. Okay. So, going back to New York, traipsing around New York, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I have never cared about the stuff. We have never given our kids a lot of stuff it has always been about the experiences. Now, mm-hmm. the difference between you and me is parenting and please don't like, you know, leave this podcast when i say this, but i'm going to tell you why i believe what <laughs> why i feel the way i feel. Parenting was the easiest thing i've ever done. I loved every minute of it, even the hard parts. And you know, I can look back now at, for example, what Marcus went through, and there were some pretty crappy parts, but when I was in it, I didn't quite realize it because there was such a challenge there. I think that parenting was easy for me because I did what I enjoyed doing, and I did my best to stay away from what I didn't enjoy doing. So, for example, I am not a sandbox mom. You are never going to catch me in the middle of a sandbox making sandcastles or whatever you do in a sandbox. I may be, you know, standing out on the outside, like, you know, looking at my phone, responding to, you know, students or clients or whatever. I may be talking with other parents, you know, at the side of the sandbox, but I am not a sandbox mom. I don't beat myself up about that. You know, I'm also not the mom who's going to have dinner on the table every night. I friggin' forget. I forget to eat myself. And so if it weren't for my husband, you know, constantly being in there saying, okay, we need to start dinner. Great. You go start it. Um, There would be a problem. Like I have never felt guilt around the things that I suck at. And trust me, there are many things that I suck at. I also, I never, I knew I would not be good as a full-time mom, right? I just knew that because of the way my brain works, I couldn't do that. But in the same vein, I also couldn't be in an office working full time. Right. And I feel like I was privileged to be able to have the vision that this is what I need. And I was able to build that life for myself. And so that's what worked. And when I screwed up, like, I mean, I have literally left kids at school, like totally forgot I even had kids forgot turning in paperwork. You know, even though rich, my husband is usually the person who did all that, the paperwork for the school. But then there was some little thing that I was supposed to do. I didn't do it. We always went together to drop the kids off at school. And then we would go grab a coffee. And I can't even tell you, at least twice a year, they would get, um, I don't know what you call them, like a warning or whatever, because... I was late, not because they were late, because I was late. <laughs> and in those moments where we were running late, yes, I was totally anxious and I felt really bad. I'm not sure bad enough to apologize. You know, I would just kind of sit there and kind of <laughs> go through my head, but I still, I laughed about it. And I didn't even know I had ADHD until my son was in seventh grade. So we went through mm-hmm. a lot of years where I did ask, well, why am I like that? You know, but I never compared myself to the parent. Um, specifically the moms, because we tend to do that, right? Yeah, I never compared myself to the parent who um, always had everything all buttoned up and, you know, was on time for everything. And, you know, there were things that were important to me, like nobody, nobody throws a better child's birthday party than I do. And so I know that there were moms who would kind of roll their eyes and they would make comments, but this is the deal. I'm creative and I really loved doing that because, again, that was an experience for my kids. It wasn't about the stuff. In fact, I know they had birthday parties where we just said, don't even bring a gift. You know, make a donation to whomever or to this, you know, particular what organization. Because I, that was the hard part, right? Then we had to deal with the thank you notes. I had to make sure that they would write them. Like, I hated all of that <laughs> Yes. But the party, oh my God, to plan that and, you know, put that all on. Like I don't enjoy, I, I, you know, I used to entertain a lot, but it was always around the kids and it took me a while to figure out why don't I still love to entertain the way I used to? Well, because it was about the kids and you could do these really fun, creative things, right? Which you kind of can't do with adults. I remember my daughter had a friend who... It was her best friend and the girls got, they were like in seventh grade and they got in a food fight with a bunch of the boys. So their school was really, (laughs) or their class was really top heavy. They had a ton of boys and I I think it was like 30 boys in the class. It was a Catholic school, 30 boys in the class and I think 10 girls. And the girls were the ones who I guess instigated the food fight or they were blamed for it, which could have been. Um, And so a good percentage of the class got detentions. And I remember her best friend's mom was just appalled. She was so embarrassed. What would the teachers think? What would the principals think? What would the other parents think? And I remember just thinking, Good on you girls. You know, you're, you're mucking <laughs> it up. Who cares? You know, and it wasn't a big gross food fight where there was food all over the place. We're talking about some pretzels and, you know, cookies and I'm just like, "Go make them pick it up. Why are we giving kids detention over this? This is actually kind of funny." So, I think that it's about caring about what really ultimately matters and whether or not my kids have you know, the best grades, or they're being difficult on a particular day, or I'm getting a message from my son's high school that he's in the principal's office, he's sick because he was smoking weed. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I just never let those kinds of things wig me out because in the scheme of things, I always think, so in the worst situations, I think am I going to laugh about this in 10 years? And I can't believe I just admitted the weed thing because I've been <laughs> kind of quiet about it, but my son talks about it all the time. And I I remember thinking in 10 years, maybe even five years, we're going to laugh about this, right? Um, and And I know now what happened, you know, we pulled him off medication really quickly, stimulant medication, it was not working. His brain was then not making his own dopamine. He pitched down into a depression and into anxiety. And so he was basically self-medicating. Yeah, and hanging around with the wrong crowd. But when I walked in that door, and I can't even say I wanted to kill him because I didn't. I mean, I knew how upset he was going to be at himself. And I remember I walked in the door and I saw his face. He was beating himself up so much more than I ever could. So I knew in that moment, what he needed was my support. He needed me to tell him and to know that it was all going to be okay. And the first thing out of his mouth was, I think I need to go to a new school. I think I'm running with the wrong crowd. You know, he's a freshman and he was hanging out with seniors <laughs> because, you know, he's just socially like people love him. So, you know, that's, that's what was happening. But I think that our job as parents is to figure out what kind of parent our child needs. And that's different for every kid, you know? I want to make sure that when my kids, well, I wanted, and I still say I want to in the present, set, present tense because, you know, my son is still in college and, you know, he's only 19. And so I just want to make sure that when my kids leave our house permanently, They know how to be happy, and they know what actually makes them happy. So I've tried very hard to make sure that I was doing and I am doing everything I can to unearth who my kids actually are, rather than me turning around and creating this child that I want them to be. So I try to listen a lot more than I talk, and I know that I am not the expert in them. They are the only expert in them. And so we're a team, right? We problem solve together. And ultimately, I'm so grateful for my son and all of his experiences. Sure, I'm grateful for my daughter, but my daughter was basically perfect, you know? <laughs> and when I had my daughter, I was so full of myself thinking that she turned you out the way she did. a fabulous parent. Yes, it was all about me. <laughs> and then I had my son and I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm doing the exact same thing, which is nothing, right? <laughs> they come out the way they come out. And so my son has been my greatest teacher because it really made me realize that how little I had to do with how my kids turn out. And so I just need to make sure that my kids know what they need, right? To be happy, what they need to, like the skills on how to be happy, because we all feel down at times, right? And it really is about creating strategies and creating some structure around, okay, when things don't go the way that I want them to go, what can I do? and that they have like a toolkit. So I talked an awful, awful lot. Um, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no,
0: I, well, I, I'm like over here furiously jotting down notes because that's how I pay attention. But also I'm like, ooh, that's good. Ooh, that's good. Ooh, another nugget. I'm like, I, I have like almost a full page of notes from that one paragraph.
1: <laughs> so, Well, thank you. So I'm curious with you what is it? Okay, so when you say that you're in the throes of, oh my gosh, how long is this going to last? <laughs> <laughs> um, wait, I want to tell you one more thing. So I okay. was just—I don't typically listen to Joe Rogan. In fact, this was the first time that I listened to one of his podcasts, and I—they're so his- long. Well, what is the deal with bros and podcasts? I don't what? know. Why are their podcasts two hours, three hours? Like, I'm
0: freaking out if mine's over an hour, you know? It's I just it's time to listen to all that. Clearly not moms. I mean, I, we right. are probably not their target audience. No, so. we,
1: are, we are not. And because <laughs> of everything that happened with, I don't know who that football player is, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers and, you know, anti-vax. And I'm just like, ugh, Joe Rogan. But I don't know how I ended up listening to one of his podcasts, but I did. And it was with Jewel. And she had the I best piece of advice. Well, I didn't know she was homeless. She left home at 15 years old. She was, you know, her her father was, well, her mother left at eight. They were in the middle of some, it wasn't a commune, but it was up in the middle of nowhere. Yeah.
0: And, in Alaska, I think.
1: Exactly. And um, so her mom left at eight and I guess her father just kind of, you know, lost it after Mm. that and was really physically abusive. So she left at 15 and I think there were times she said that she wasn't even sure she wanted to live anymore. And so what she started to do is she started to go to the ocean and she would sit there and she would watch the tide go out and then she would come back and she'd watch the tide go in. And I've never done that, but I guess it takes a long time. A long time. Yeah. (laughs) And she said nature taught me so much when I was only 15 and I was homeless and I didn't know what to do next and I was stealing and I, you know, all of these, I had all these mental health issues and I was so worried that it was all about um, nurture and I wasn't going to be able to break out of this and I was going to have the same problems. And she said, nature taught me that there are seasons and everything that happens, you know, the tide goes out, the tide comes back in. And so I just thought about that with kids, right? So there are times that, yeah, like I think about my son's high school years, uh, well, freshman year to junior year, and they were really difficult. And I was honestly like, is this boy ever going to be happy? And I didn't really understand what he needed, but I knew enough to go out and fight for what I thought at the time it was. Ultimately, what it turned out was that he not only had ADHD, but there was dyslexia. And that was really what was leading it. And it just, it made me think about what you just said about, you know, parenting and how we have these times where we're just like, oh my God, I'm going to kill them. <laughs> Why did I do this?
0: <laughs> yes. But it's
1: for seasons, right? And, the, and then on the other yeah. side, you're probably thinking, oh my God, it's going by so fast. Everybody tells me it goes by so fast.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, and I think it's hard with ADHD because we live so much in the now and we don't have a good time perception that like we were just talking about this in um in our support group yesterday is like. The season you're in right now feels like the season forever. It doesn't feel like a season per se. It just feels like right now and when you can't figure out how to fix it or make it better, that it feels like you're going to be in this spot always. And I think that's one of the hardest parts of our lack of time perception is that when things are bad, it feels like they're going to be bad forever. And it's hard to see that it's a season and that in six months, you can laugh about, you know, that your kid went through the biting phase or the hitting phase or the peeing on everything phase. But at the time, it's just like, I like what do I do? My kid's biting everybody. What do I do? Um, which is, is a lot as a parent when you're-
1: In the middle of when that. you feel
0: like you're in the middle and you're just like, I'm failing at everything.
1: You know, um, whenever I see a parent with a child out in public, and the kid is just breaking down and screaming at the top of their lungs, and you know there are other adults around rolling their eyes. Those people just like you're the one with the character flaw. Do just get out of remember here. Remember what kids understand. are like. Yeah, exactly. And you know, just being such jerks, I always go up to the parent and I say, "You don't believe me right now, but there is going to come a time where you are going to miss this <laughs> because we do." I'm telling you, when people tell you to enjoy the time because it goes by way too fast, believe them. I don't even know where 20 years went. I have not a clue. So I wonder, so what do you do in those instances then where you're in the middle of it, your kid is biting people? What do you do? Like, how do you deal with that?
0: I mean, for me right now, it's leaning on other moms and getting that outside perspective. like. I feel like this is going to be a conversation. I'm like, oh, go rewind and play that again. It's just to remind yourself of the truth and having someone who's been through it and has gone down the path can say it with fact. Whereas when you're telling yourself like, okay, well, we're going to get through this. It's not going to be forever. It's almost like you're trying to convince yourself. But when you surround yourself with other supportive women, they can tell you by fact, this is a stage it will be over soon. You can do it. You're all right. Like Even if you can't figure out how to solve it, eventually they'll stop doing it. It Absolutely. I don't know about
1: you, but I don't know many adults who go around biting people.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's somebody, but-, <laughs> <laughs> but that will not be your son. I promise yes. you that. Well, I would say, well, th- actually, thankfully we didn't go through the the biting phase. I was another mom. I was talking about that, but we're in the, I would say, I am curious because something you said about when you were saying, you walked in and you saw Marcus's face and he was beating himself up more than you could have. Like that is my son, my older one. Like he's a tiny me. He looks like his dad and his personality is all me. And I'm like, I don't even know how sometimes to like coach myself through that because I beat myself up more than anyone else could criticize me. It's like, how do you know? Like, how do you know what the right words are to say to him in that moment, to like help him like scoop himself up and like move forward and stop that beating of oneself?
1: Okay, the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, Dr. Ross Green, kids do well if they can. Mm -hmm. And if they're not doing well, they don't have the skills, and so I think of mindfulness, which I'm sure you've probably worked with him on. Mm-hmm. You know where he can separate his thoughts from what is actually going on in the real world. Does he do any of that? Really questioning. Okay, those are my thoughts. Is that really true? You know, how bad is it?
0: Mm, okay. How old That's is he? First, first of all, he's in right. first old-
1: grade. He's six. in first grade. I know that there are books. Um, you know who can help you is Caitlin Mabry or Mabry. I always mispronounce her name.
0: You oh, know her, right? I know her.
1: Oh my gosh. She's she would be one. the perfect person to be able to give you... Re- I, I don't work with kids, although I just did this whole training with Adka on kids and family, which is fantastic. And I'm actually going to be interviewing Carolyn McGuire, who wrote the uh, social skills book, Why Will Kids... Um, why Will No One Play With Me? Yeah, um, she's really good. Maro, Yeah, she's awesome. I know, though, that there are mindfulness books just for children. There's probably some mindfulness, you know, kind of audio type stuff, too, that your child could listen to. I mean, he's young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. he just needs to understand, kind of like what you were saying, right, about the anxiety when you were a kid, that just because he thinks it does not mean it's true. And if he can separate... His thoughts get into his body.
0: Have you tried tapping for him? You know, I never remember it. I <laughs> <laughs> one of those ADHD things. Of like, I I had a really awesome guest. I don't know if you've heard of Kate. Um, she does tapping for ADHD, and I was like, oh, I really got to use this. And I never remember when I'm stressed out to be like, hello, you know how to do this tapping skill? What is wrong with you? You don't remember, and it's like, yep, oh yeah, ADHD. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. He just needs his
1: own little toolkit. And this is the thing. You can introduce him to all kinds of things and none of them can stick, right? And then he'll go find his own thing. But the fact that you're... and and I know, I know Patricia, because there would be things that I'd bring to my son. I'm still trying to get him to tap. Okay. My daughter does it all the time. She's like, it is the most amazing thing. I try to give it to my son and he's just like rolling his eyes. Mom, this is BS. Mom, I'm like, look, here's all the science. Here's the 200 studies. Harvard uses it. Kaiser uses it. The VA uses it, you know, for PTSD. He's like, nah. So you're, you know, and I think that a lot of our kids are like that, right? Where if they don't come up with it, and and for good reason, because what works for you won't necessarily work for him, but you can come up with all these things that he can then decide what's going to be on his tool, you know, in his toolkit. But he needs a plan, I think, when he feels like that you know, it's an icky feeling in his body. I suspect he doesn't want to feel like that. And these are some
0: resources
1: where he's the one who has control.
0: I love, I love that idea of the toolkit is it? I think like a lot of times as moms, we feel like we have to find the solution. We need like the key thing that is going to fix this. And if we let go of that expectation of ourselves to find like the magical unicorn that's going to solve this problem and instead introduce our kids to a toolkit where they can choose like i've given you 10 solutions hopefully one of them works cuz kids always have more buy in when they pick um, right that is a lot less stress from a mom perspective that i don't have to have all the answers but if i give you a bunch of options hopefully something sticks well and this is the deal you're not, you know you're not the expert
1: on him Unfortunately, mm-hmm. and I think as parents, we sometimes think we are. We, think we
0: are. Mm-hmm. But
1: the reality of it is, just because this is the greatest thing that you've ever discovered, like he just won't buy into it. So it's really about, I think, teaching our kids this resilience that because they they have it anyway if they're ADHD. And I think is it your older son
0: that's ADHD. Um, we haven't gone down the formal diagnosis path okay. on either because they're four and six. But my okay. I suspect both of them too. <laughs> okay. So okay.
1: So, um, he's going to want to find his own solutions. And it's funny, you know, so when my son was here, my son can be very obstinate. And I say that in the most loving way. He, (laughs) Marcus knows Marcus and you don't tell Marcus what to do. So it could have, okay. It could have been a big problem. I mean, these are the kids, right? You know, oppositionally defiant and, and he's not, but we create these kind of kids. If we're constantly pushing them and telling them what to do and telling them they're wrong. And so I just instinctively knew that is not what you do with Marcus, right? But I would constantly be filtering these things, right? And he would be kind of hand up, whatever, rolling his eyes. Now, what happened when he went to college, though, was fascinating. He would constantly be calling me, which was not what he typically did. Well, he didn't have to do it, right? But, but he wouldn't be consulting me. It would be me going to him when he lived here. But the minute he went to college, all of those little seeds that I planted, and my husband too, he's um, wonderful, all of those little seeds – they would come out and he would say things like, oh, well, I tried this or I'm, you know, I, I discovered that he <laughs> he found some Buddhist podcast and he was constantly, th- th- like that was his sort of mindfulness, right? That fit with him. And so he was constantly listening to those and he was learning about thought work. And, and I really thought he would never be interested in any of that. And then he would say things like, you know, mom, I am glad about every single experience that I had, no matter how difficult it was, because I have resilience. None of my friends are as resilient as I am. I don't give up. I keep going. And that is going to serve me in the real world. And then he would say things like, remember when you said this? Well, I agree with you. Or he would bring up things that I had presented. And and you know, it was something now that he was considering or he was using. So Don't worry, or don't look at. Oh my God! Every time I suggest something, you know, I I don't get a buy off at all, and they think that because I'm the mom, no matter what I say, they're not going to listen to. That is not true. If you just if you don't shove it down their throat, right? But you just keep presenting it. They they're they're like little sponges. They will totally pick it up. Yeah, and and I honestly think that for these kinds of kids that struggle with anxiety, and I will tell you, Marcus does the mindfulness piece is huge. The fact that they can learn how to control their own thoughts. There is um, a new book that just came out that I think is excellent by, uh, I'm so bad with pronunciations, Tamara Rosier. It's called Your Brain's Not Broken. And she has a chapter on there about um, anxiety, um, but it's called something about monsters. And she tells this story of she had this little kid who, came into her practice and she was really anxious at night. And so Tamara, you know, the mom was in earshot, but she was talking to the child and she said, oh, I know how to solve that problem. I have monster problem too, monster spray. And, you know, the mother's like kind of overhears her and says, oh, well, I think I, yes, I have peppermint oil. And and, you know, the mom was really quick and she said, okay, so it's 12 drops of peppermint oil in a spray bottle of water, you know, eight ounce spray bottle of water. Okay. And she looks at the child and she says, now you are going to use this monster spray every single night before you go to bed. And you have little brothers. I bet you they have a monster problem too. So why don't you go in there and you spray their room too. So they don't have a monster problem. That child the next day woke up and it was like, you know, I had no monster problem last night because she felt she had the control, right? She was in action doing something about it. And I just, I just love that story because, you know, as adults, we literally, we need our own monster spray. And for little kids, we need to teach them how to make it, whatever it is, you know, whatever the monster is (laughs) and whatever the spray
0: is. No, I love that. I mean, I think that's a great analogy of that, you, when you know what your problem is and you've identified it, how do you make that monster spray? And it's okay if it's a placebo effect monster spray, but the fact that you're doing something about it, that you made a choice. A lot of times with, you know, when we have ADHD, we just kind of sit in this like spiral of indecision because we're not sure what the right answer is. And that's almost more harmful to us than just picking something and being wrong.
1: So, And we're also, we're naming it, right? Mm -hmm. We're naming it. We're acknowledging it. Yeah, I've got a monster problem. And as I'm reading that chapter of the book, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm how old? And I just figured out I have a monster problem. (laughs) (laughs) But it's the naming it that kind of, you know, makes it dissipate. So I have two more questions for you before I let you go. What are the ADHD traits? I ask them of everyone pretty much. What are the ADHD traits that you
0: feel are responsible for your success? Uh, definitely persistence that I think that it's a very overlooked ADHD trait, but we are some of the most persistent people out there because we get back up and we dust ourselves off and we keep going even when it feels impossible and We think, like, there's no way I'm going to fix this problem. There's no way I can get through this. But yet we do. We stand back up and we keep going. And that persistence is better than consistency. It's better than, like, positive thinking. It will – you'll get there eventually because you kept trying. So for me, that is a huge one. And the other one that I really appreciate in myself is the -the out-of-the-box problem-solving is that I can see things that people don't. And for most of my life, I kept them to myself because I thought I, like, I didn't have the confidence to say them because they were so out there that I, I thought I would be judged for being, like, more weird than I was already <laughs> being judged for. So, um, you know, I just, I didn't have a lot of self-confidence growing up. And, but, like, once I started speaking up and saying it, it's like, I see things people don't. I can fix problems that other people think there's no way to fix. and my brain can see the problem and I like I can't even I feel like sometimes like I can't even take credit for it because it just comes to me, like I don't do anything. It's just like I just see it and I speak it. So, um, I think that whole concept of like idea generation and problem solving is an underappreciated skill because it's not task oriented. It's not checking off boxes. But people with ADHD have a lot of those. Um, I guess like l- more intangible skills that are incredibly needed in life.
1: Love it. And what is your number one ADHD workaround?
0: I write down everything,
1: <laughs> literally <laughs> yeah.
0: everything. I mean, everywhere I go, I have my bullet journal or my clipboard with my like one sheet of my week. I always have those with me. And if I don't, I have a designated place on my phone so I can circle back to it. So it's like not just haphazard writing like, I don't have 400 post-it notes. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't have 400 post-it notes anymore because that was a phase that I went through. I have a system and I write everything down because my brain has a bazillion ideas. A lot of them are really great and I can't do them all now. And if I don't write it down, I'm going to forget. And maybe in eight months, I'll remember that brilliant idea again. But- I can capture it now. So, everything is written down.
1: Well, I'm writing as we speak. It's the it's the <laughs> only way I can focus, too. I yes. always have to be writing. So, um, Patricia, are you working on something that you want to tell us about?
0: Yeah. So, um, I'm like, I'm like oh, wait. we never ended up circling back to the beginning when you were like, wait, tell me about college. And I was like, oh, I forgot about that. Um, <laughs> now, what I do is I help moms. And, It pulls together all of my experience from teaching middle school and having been a serial entrepreneur. Like It all just came together. And now I teach moms how to get their crap together so that we don't have to feel like crap. We don't have to feel like we're failing all the time. And through my podcast, it's called Motherhood and ADHD. We talk about all things from parenting to productivity and just understanding our brains. I think that's really important for us. Um, And then I teach classes on calendars and to-do lists and daily routines and how to make those ADHD friendly so that they feel good and they serve us as tools instead of feeling like prison sentences. And um, yeah, so you can find me everywhere. It's the same thing, very ADHD friendly. It's motherhood and ADHD website, Instagram, Facebook, everything is that. And you can sign up for classes on my website
1: wonderful and this will be all in the show notes so
0: before i let you go any last thoughts patricia i want to say thank you thank you for for sharing with me it's i think that that is how we connect with people and that's how we we don't feel alone is like being willing to talk about what we're struggling with and um and i just appreciate you Indulging me when I was like, I need mom advice. <laughs> someone who can, who's been through it and can give me the perspective that, um, that yeah, it'll it'll all be okay. Our kids won't be ruined by our ADHD. It can all it'll all work out. And um,
1: okay, I, I need to respond it. to that. I know I'm supposed to let you go, but I think the best moms in the world are ADHD. We are so creative. We're fun. I, I, you know, as long as we can can, you know, reduce all the the those negative thoughts about all the stuff that we should be doing that other people are doing, I really focus on the fun, <laughs> you know, the creativity and just loving on our kids. It's all going to be great. All the
0: other stuff is little stuff, Patricia. Oh, I think there's a book called that. Oh really? <laughs> don't, like, don't don't sweat the small stuff and it's all small stuff. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's yeah. for adults though, right? Oh well, yeah. But I you know, it's just I think it's it's hard with ADHD is that we we get stuck on something and we beat ourselves up. And it it is hard to step out of that shame spiral, but when we do, there's just so much freedom. And um, and I've definitely been in this like bit of a shame spiral with making the right choice in choosing to work on my business and not be a stay-at-home mom. And it's been really hard to decide. And I know it's the right choice, but it's hard to learn like where the balance is in working and taking care of your kids and and all that. So I wish I had better words to say thank you. I really appreciate your advice.
1: I think you absolutely need to be doing what you're doing because you're helping all these women and your children are seeing that. And you know, the community, the community is what dissipates the shame, just exactly what you said. So you have to do what you do. I can tell how passionate you <laughs> are about it. And your kids would be less well off if they don't have a mom that's happy, that's engaged, that, you know, feels like she's contributing to the world. I mean, that's one of the things with our ADHD brain. We, we have to feel like our life has meaning. If yes. we don't, we get depressed. So and so. I I am raising my hand. Patricia, you need to keep (laughs) doing what you're doing. And thank you you for what you're doing. And thank you for spending time with us here today. So that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Patricia, let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And you know what? Your reviews really help in that regard. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Come join me over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thanks for listening and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast.